brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everything. A dead game played in hell. Wait for the warning bell. Will you play a game with me? Once the windows and doors lock. No need to feign any shock. Don't you want to play with me? <laughs> you are mine for the night until the morning light. Don't be scared. The Dead Game by author Susan Least. Get it now on Kindle. Hello and welcome. Please be aware that this podcast involves topics such as violence, sex and mental illness. If this might disturb you or those around you, please reconsider. It's okay. Privacy and confidentiality have been protected with personal information removed when possible. If you ever feel unsafe or suicidal, please call your local crisis centre, emergency services or national hotline. In the US, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. And remember, you matter. Now please, enjoy the show. Hey, this is Kate. I occasionally have guests come on the show about whom I know just about nothing, give or take. And I love that. I find that super interesting and fun because it means I can't set out expectations for where the conversation is going to go. I need to just stay in the moment and follow along. Which is what happened this time. I had some thoughts about what we would talk about because my guest, Maxwell Ivy, has a website and consulting business at 
theblindblogger.net. Right, so, okay, blind, I get it, fair, let's start there. But what I love about this conversation is that it proves definitively that sometimes we have sort of a, a characteristic or feature that we might start with. I might tell people that I'm deaf or that I broke my back or whatever. I'll pick something that I have several thousand children, you know, depends on the conversation that I'm entering. But there's more to me than that, than any one feature. Humans are complicated. And because of that, fascinating. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss. I am Maxwell Ivey, and I'm known around the world as the blind blogger. I have gone from being a blind failed carnival owner to a respected online amusement equipment broker. And as a result of doing that work online came to the attention of many people seeking inspiration. And since then, I have written several books, uh, done hundreds of podcast interviews, traveled the country solo, started my own podcast called What's Your Excuse? And I now have a podcast network under the WYE label where I'm helping other blind people and others with disabilities start their own podcasts. I, 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 okay, I have to start with the carnival part. Everybody does. I know. And I don't feel especially creative when I do it, but how do you know if it was any good? Like, tell me how you got involved in that and, and how you knew whether it was a success. Okay. I got involved in it the same way most people get involved in it is. You're either born into it or you're married into it. And my grandfather started a carnival in the 50s here in Texas. And uh, his sons all had carnivals of their own. My father married into the family. And so we had a small seven or eight ride carnival. And I worked alongside my dad and my brothers in the carnival business. And I basically did whatever needed to be done. I primarily worked on booking events for the carnival season. I also operated some, ch some children's games. I helped out in the, uh, in the food wagons. I set up, helped set up and take down carnival rides. I like to say that at one time I've had grease on every part of my body and I did everything but drive, never did that. And so, you know, being part of a family involved in a, a business together, an unusual one for sure. But, you know, you just figured out ways to do things. Um, when we were open, I would generally work a duck pond game where they pick up the ducks and the numbers or the letters on the bottom tell them what they want. And so we had braille labels on the ducks and we had uh, braille signage on the bins where the toys went. And, you know, the biggest problem with that game was when people would try to cheat by turning over the ducks without me knowing they were turning over the ducks. 
So we figured if they were going to cheat, we we basically on my game only, we leveled the playing field, let's say. Um, there was no one duck in my pond that would win them the choice prize on the top shelf. But if they played several times and added their ducks together, they could win any prize that I had in my booth. So uh, that was the, the game I ran. Uh, and, you know, when we would set up rides, my dad always had a rule that, I could only help lift and carry stuff if one of if one of the family members were there with me. And really, it was just one of those things. Where the first thing you learn in a family of people that operate a small business, regardless of the business is, is that you're never going to have all the resources, the money, the skills that you want. And so you just you learn to just find a way. And in the carnival business, it's even more so because the only thing that matters in the carnival world is are you open on Thursday or Friday night? Can they buy a funnel cake and a cotton candy or a corn dog and ride the Ferris wheel? If they can, you had a good week. If they can't, then disaster struck. And really, it's all about being flexible, finding creative solutions, and just doing whatever it takes to find a way to get from whatever town you were in last week to whatever town you're in this week. And, uh, you know, I was never on a big carnival midway. My family was never corporate. I do have a cousin in Corpus Christi who he's like the last one of the family left in the business of the Wagners. And he has a big carnival. They have over 30 rides and some of his rides cost over half a million dollars. So, I mean, I, <laughs> the whole carnival concept to me, I, my, my, my married name is Walinga. And so the extent of my familiarity with a lot of the, the concept of the working of it is explaining to people that, no, 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 we are not related to the flying <laughs> Walendas. That yes. is not our thing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's circuses, not carnivals, which I believe would have been a whole lot different and more challenging, mainly because circuses generally travel on a daily basis, whereas carnivals usually travel on a weekly, sometimes uh, I guess you'd say bi-weekly and some, in some cases even monthly between moves. So a lot different situ situation. And, you know, I don't think I would have wanted to be around the crazy live animals. Now we did take three of our kids rides and travel with a one ring circus down the Valley of South Texas one winter. And that was really, really weird because at night you would hear the lions and the tigers, you know, roaring and growling. And you're like, Man, I just hope whatever fence they're in is still there tomorrow morning because <laughs> I I do not want nothing to do with them cats. And it, but but it was a, it was it was interesting. Like I say, we we would you had to be in a different town every couple of days, and uh, we eventually realized that nobody wanted to ride the rides. But we did pretty good with the cotton candy and the popcorn and stuff because the circus owner didn't have his own vending. So. So you were you were born without sight? No, I, I was born with perfect vision. I have retinitis pigmentosa or RP. So at first it was good until I was four or five years old. And then initially I just wore the eye patch on the one side to try to make the weaker eyes the same strength as the stronger eye. Um, eventually they did have me tested and diagnosed with RP. My vision uh, was decreasing gradually for several years. And then about the time I entered junior high school, I had a big drop off in vision. And that's pretty common among men with RP. We tend to have a big drop off when entering puberty. 
Um, my vision stayed pretty much the same, which was probably around say 21,000 or so. I know that you've had your issues with vision. So I figure if I say the number, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. Uh, and it stayed pretty constant until I went off to college. But by the time I graduated from college, it was down to what it is now, which is light perception, which I hate because it's hard to explain. I generally tell people that I'm totally blind because that's a whole lot easier to explain. But if we want to get you know specific, I can see if the light is off or on, but only if I look directly at where it's supposed to be because I have almost no peripheral vision. It has to be a bright light. And even if it's very bright, I can't tell colors of the light only if it's on or off. And so at this point, everything I do is either through braille or audio or assistance of a sighted person. So I have a similar process really with my hearing of I was effectively perfect hearing for sure up until age five, six, seven, somewhere in there is when they stopped testing it. And then and the reason that they had tested it is because as a very young infant, I had a very high fever, which can impact hearing. And right. it was fine for many years. And so they stopped testing it. And then when I was 16, my mother noticed that I was listening to the television loud enough that she could hear it across the house. And I'm reaching for the remote to turn it up louder. And that's when we realized there might be a problem. I'm now 44 and I hear... As of last measure, I hear about 25% of what normal would be. My experience with being hard of hearing is that, you know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm functionally deaf, especially in the, the age of masks now. Like, I read lips, I don't sign. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, in the age of masks, um, for somebody who only reads lips, that is effectively death. It, it, it just, it, it is what it is. But people have told me, and I'm not making this up, I wish I was, that I don't sound deaf. And also <laughs> that I don't look deaf. And I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to wrap my brain around that. Like, I don't know what deaf looks like, but cool. Cool. Great. Yeah, that I don't yeah. look deaf. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I just want to piggyback off what you're saying about not looking deaf. Over the years, I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of grief over not looking blind. And back when I worked on the Midway, a lot of, I'd, I'd have my white cane, but because I had perfect vision at one time and because I was, was constantly reminded of this by adults and got really good at looking directly at people and focusing on the person I was talking to as if I was actually looking at them there. I can't tell you how many times people have said, you ain't blind. You just, you're just faking, you know, you're wanting to use that cane so that I'll spend more money here, that sort of a thing. And then of course, more recently, now that I'm not in the carnival business anymore, I've noticed among many of my friends that they will quite often slip up and forget that I can't see what they want me to see. And like, you know, there's been several times before COVID where at church, somebody would get something cool on their phone and they would turn to me to show me the screen on their phone. And then at the last second, they would remember, oh, wait a minute, he can't see the screen that I want him to look at. So I've, I've had that many times. And I think I've decided that it's kind of a compliment because it means that I haven't let my vision loss affect 
my personality or define me as an individual. So I, I don't know exactly what you're meaning about not looking deaf, but I, could, I think I can at least understand that there's probably some, some frustration there because it's, what do you do about it? You know, it's not like there's anything you could do about it. And for some people, you know, you would probably get better treatment if there was some obvious sign. But then I know people who wear vests at events that, that make it very, very, very clear they are blind and people still don't pay attention. So I don't know, but it's it's interesting. We've both had that same experience, but from different with with different um, different issues. Yeah, different senses, same. And, and it's it's an odd one because I can function in the world without masks pretty well. And in fact, I I lean into my let's call it impish side back in the days when I used to go to bars and that sort of thing, I could tell, I could read lips from across the room. And so I could tell someone was introducing themselves. And right. so later on, I would be up, I'd go up and be like, Joe, how's it going? <laughs> Haven't seen you in ages. Because, you know, you might as well have fun with it, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. That's cool. Uh, you know, you're mentioning uh, COVID and masks and how it's affected you. I haven't run into this much because uh, I just really haven't gone a lot of places since COVID started. I was at a conference when they started canceling flights and it was getting really serious in March of, uh, of last year, but I haven't really gone many places since then, but I have friends who are visually impaired in other parts of the country and other countries. And I hear stories about how um, they can't follow the new lines because, you know, in stores, you're supposed to only go, in one direction and you know it's not like the blind person can read the signage or the marks on the floor and uh, i've even heard some you know kind of sad stories but also some kind of funny stories about how they're having to retrain guide dogs to adapt to the new world of COVID as far as social distancing and how you how you uh interact with people in lines and that sort of stuff Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of, you know, I mean, it's the kind of thing you don't, I think, think about. And being deaf, with there being no outward appearance of it, and as well, being deaf, there are not as many legal restrictions on it. Like, I could be completely 100% deaf, and I'd still be allowed to drive a car, for instance. And so people around me seem to understand the idea of you can be legally blind, but still perceive some light or some color, or maybe only directly in front of you, but not peripheral. Or you know, there's they they seem to understand that. But when I say that I'm basically deaf, they're like, "But you listen to podcasts." <laughs> yes, I do. It's true, but only with my earbuds fully plugged in, only at night always blasted at 100% and I am concerned because my hearing has taken a slide over the past maybe two years where I think I'm going to end up needing higher quality earbuds to be able to still hear anything at all. That leads me to a question that I really should have asked long before now as a podcaster who has a disability. Are there many podcasters that are tapping into the closed captioning system for those who are using who are offering their podcast and video as well as audio? Not enough. 
there are not enough. Let me think of how to word this diplomatically. Well, I can't. You want to be some people are assholes. Yeah, no, some people are assholes. That's how it works. So I started my my show started as a true crime show because I am a forensic psychologist, and so okay. it's that idea of talk about what you know. Exactly. And there's there are some fairly high profile cases of plagiarism that have happened in the true crime community just in the past three years even. And so a lot of other true crime podcasters, but the same applies to other genres as well, I've found, where they get uncomfortable about publishing their scripts because they're afraid that somebody's going to plagiarize them. And every time they do it, I literally have to hold my head because I, I, I'm like, no, uh, there are auto-generated captions and if they're really that interested in stealing your 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 material they're just going to rip the audio and publish it on their own feed they're not going to ask your permission they're not going to bother captioning it and anything like that they're just going to run it so go ahead and make it more accessible and and then just forget about the whole accessibility question you know people people learn or absorb information in different styles that's why one of the things that's on my list for between now and the end of the year is to start is to start using one of those services that transcribes the audio from my podcast so that people who don't or can't listen or or who learn better from reading than they do from listening will have that option but i mean really for for the very few possibilities or very few experiences where somebody's going to steal your content as you say if they want to steal it bad enough they will anyway but but beyond that you're basically robbing yourself of an opportunity to connect with the people who do know you and like you or who discover you and might like you because you're afraid to post the transcript preach they absolutely and and you know i realized so i can't hear well enough to caption my own and so it took me a while to be able to afford the the subscription. I use otter.ai and it took me a while to be able to afford it. And I started that during COVID. And what I've done is, is pulled on several friends of mine who go over at least the first couple of pages to make sure that it starts accurately. And if it turns out that a listener wants the full hour transcribed, we will do so, you know, for any reason or no reason at all, just because wow. they want it. it. Because I feel like that's important. And and I've had, oh, I don't want to call them friends because they're super not. I've had acquaintances <laughs> in the podcast world who have said, all people need to do is, is let me know that they're hard of hearing or that they have a problem with auditory processing or that they want to use it for a, a paper that they're writing or whatever. And then I will transcribe. And I'm like, but you're asking them to violate their own confidentiality. And not everybody wants to do that. Some people just need access to it. And I'm privileged enough because my show is done well enough that I can pay to do so. So I'm going to do so. Right. Right. And, and, you know, you mentioned something there that most people are not really aware of. It's not really my area of expertise because I don't really see myself as an advocate for 
uh, visually impaired in that way. But really, people have a, a right to decide what they want to disclose about a limitation or a disability, depending on how they see it. They have the right to decide whether or not they want to disclose when and whom they wish to disclose to and how they want to disclose a disability. So you're right. The way he approached it, he is asking people to, in some cases, violate their own personal confidentiality standards in order to get something that we all should be offering without having to be asked or without having to have an explanation or a reason for it. Exactly. And, and so that's why they're not a friend. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, and, and I've had people tell me and mean it that there are no such thing as deaf podcast listeners. And I'm like, fascinating. You want to see my podcatcher? And I've had people tell me that there are no deaf podcasters. And I think, fascinating. I can name five off the top of my head. But you go off. Well, when we're through, can you send me an email with some of those names so I can reach out and see if they want to syndicate their podcast on the network? Uh, sure, sure. I would really appreciate that because I... I'll be honest. I'm good. I'm I'm honest enough to admit this. I figured there had to be at least a couple of deaf podcasters, but I wasn't sure, and I haven't taken the time to go look for them. And that's on me because I'm I'm a guy who's trying to help other people with disabilities grow their audiences by having a community for us, and I should do better. So I would really appreciate any names you could recommend, and if 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 when this goes live, if somebody listening to this has a favorite podcaster by somebody who's deaf uh, or in a wheelchair or visually impaired or one of their favorite podcasts is all about issues that pertain to somebody with disability, please send me a message and let me know about them so I can go listen to them, subscribe to them, support them, and maybe get to a position where we can help each other continue to grow our audiences. I mean, in, in it, in it does, there is a, there's a, 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 corner of twitter that's deaf twitter i did not know that i started to learn i didn't either when i first started but when i started to talk to more people on you know because why would you know online right and so i'm just typing to people online i'm just interacting and then they'll mention oh right i'm deaf and i'll be like i am too that's uncanny <laughs> i it never occurred to me to ask it, it would never occur to me to know, you know, and then the whole, there's a difference between lowercase d deaf, which is what I am, and uppercase d deaf, which is like a, a whole culture Okay. that I'm not a part of. I'm not a part of that culture. I live in the hearing world. I have four children and I've been married for 21 years and all of them have excellent hearing jerks. And... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, well, I appreciate you explaining that to me. So can I ask you a question now that it's occurred to me that there are emoticons for white cane, guide dog, wheelchair, um, even some other, but I don't think I've ever run across an emoticon having to do with people who are deaf. Are there any? I don't know. I don't know that. I haven't I don't pay enough attention to emoticons myself because until we were talking before I hit record it never occurred to me like I don't like cute things I don't name my car I barely named my children like the only reason I did is because they won't let you take them home from the hospital without a name like that's 
that's sort of my <laughs> my line there. Right. But yeah. like I, I I'm not into that, and so I don't put emojis or emoticons next to my usernames on social media. And I was I learned last year probably at some point about when people are using hashtags which i am old enough that that's still a pound sign that's not a <laughs> hashtag but i learned that when you are writing out a hashtag of see what i did there for instance you should okay. do the hashtag pound sign number sign whatever you call it depending on your generation and then capitalize each letter to make it easier for screen readers to interpret so capital s c capital w what capital i capital did capital there that some screen readers are sensitive to that and others are not and i had never that had never occurred to me i just liked how it looked right and i could look at it and tell what it said at sight and then realize like oh right so those who don't have the benefit of sight probably prefer it even more what do you know yeah yeah well you know the reason i kind of pay attention to emoticons is because when i first started uh with my first website in 2007 i was one of very few people who were blind who were online because this was before wordpress it was before wi-fi it was before social media at that point, we had uh, MySpace was the only social net network that was available at that time. And so I was there in 2007 and continued online. When I started my second website as the blind blogger in two, uh, about six years ago now, there were people who actually stopped being my friends because they didn't like the idea that my disability was now going to become part of my brand and be something so overt and out in front of everybody. But the thing that th these people who got mad about it didn't understand is that I didn't choose the name. What happened was, is I had been online for a long time on social media as it started to come along. And since sighted people don't generally know a lot of blind people, I mean, in most groups of sighted people, they'll be one of us, if that. And so whatever you are, you become that thing. You know, like the guy on The Voice, he's pretty much anywhere he goes, he's called Blind Joe now. You know, I... I became the blind blogger because I was the only blogger that most people on Facebook and LinkedIn knew who was blind. And so when I decided to start a website and focus strictly on my experiences as an entrepreneur who happens to be blind, it just seemed really natural. And my followers at the time said, Max, if you choose any other name, you're just stupid. And I've learned over the years, sometimes the best thing you could do is just say thank you and do the work. So that's what I did. I said, thank you for being called the blind blogger. But there were people who both sighted and blind who just didn't like the idea. And so it's been really funny to watch how five or six years ago, people were uncomfortable being out front about a disability. And now not only are they comfortable, but if you go on Twitter, especially, you will see these emoticons that represent various disabilities in part of people's profile names. And that's why it's kind of caught my attention because I've gone from it not being cool to being acceptable to now everybody's doing it. And while nobody will ever give me credit for it, I like to think I did it first, y'all. <laughs> you you deserve the, the copyright. I think I've seen an ear okay. emoticon. I'd, I'd have to look. It's something that I have, you know, in from the position of privilege that I'm in, I, I've not paid attention to it. And that's a thing that I'll have to 
pay more attention to. And, 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 and that's, that's something, you know, when I first started my podcast, I tried really hard to lean into the content I'm going to talk about initially true crime. And then later I expanded it to more, I call myself a story collector. Oh, I love that. Oh, that is just awesome. And it, and it, it sort of encapsulates, here's what, I, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to recreate what other true crime podcasters or other podcasters have done. What can I do that nobody else can do? Well, I can have a conversation that's in my head. And so that's what I'm going to do. And so early on, I didn't talk about being deaf because I'm just sort of used to being the only deaf one in the room. And it didn't really occur to me. And I didn't also, by the way, talk about my political leanings because I felt like that's an intensely private, personal thing. And nobody ever changed their vote based on some stranger on the Internet. Well, and, that used to be the case. Well, it used to be the case. And that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and then and then over the past couple of years, things got hairy and I realized that I don't need to change anybody's point of view. That's not my goal. But politically speaking, it was only right and fair for me to be honest and upfront about the fact that I feel like we need to take care of people who are not able to take care of themselves. So in my case, that has to do with uh, current and former prisoners. It has to do with children. It has to do with the people that end up in a psychologist's office, right? People with profound mental illness in some way. And unfortunately, that puts me on a certain side of the political aisle. And I realized that I'm not trying to change anybody's mind, but there are people listening in who need to know that somebody thinks that they matter and somebody thinks that they are important. Right. Well, I agree with that point of view. And I, I try to include my, my concern for people, but I try to stay out of the political side of it as much as I possibly can, because I've seen too many people get run over by their political opinions. And I'm quite frankly, I'm just not a big enough personality that I can survive a Twitter war with anybody from either extreme of the world's political viewpoints. You know, honestly, if I get shunned by the extreme that thinks that we are fully responsible for everything that happens to us in our lives and that we don't deserve help from our fellow citizens, I'm okay with that. I would rather lose 100 subscribers in a given day than suck up to those same people because I'm not very diplomatic. And so it's better to just be straightforward about where I stand. And that's not saying that I'm right. It's just saying that that's where I, where I am. And likewise, with the speaking out about my, my disability status, I also, I have an autoimmune disorder called ankylosing spondylitis, which is my spine is growing a second spine. That's the simple version of yeah. it. And realizing that, that I, I needed to be open and honest with people about what it feels like to have, to, I'm on permanent disability now, and I didn't used to be, and what it feels like to let that go, and what it feels like to watch, auditorially speaking, my hearing fade away 
and to realize that there may be some point in my not too distant future where I can't hear my children's voices anymore and I can't do this podcasting thing anymore. And that has to be, it's, 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 it's in my mind. And so it has to be part of who I am because my brand, for lack of a better word, is about being very genuine and right up there. And if you don't like it, well, I'm still genuine and right up there, you know? Right. Well, I think part of, part of our differences here are that I'm pretty much as bad off as I could get. You know, I, I have no hope for, uh, for return of my vision or even part of it. You know, I, uh, and considering how bad it is, it's like, if it got worse, I don't know that I would notice it. Although I have heard that it, with RP, since it's the retina, that instead of going dark, your vision will eventually go all white, which I understand can cause some psychological problems, but it, it's been the way it is for so long. I just don't really think about it, but I can understand how different it is to know that, uh, that life is difficult as it is with what amount of hearing you have right now, but that things could be so much worse. You know, I, uh, so I, I think that that's part of it. I, I probably, I, well, I, there isn't any problem with it. I know for a fact, I just have way too much tact for my own good. Uh, I don't go out of my way to avoid ticking people off. It's just I don't seem to have the ability to go out of my way to tick them off. See, I'm a woman on the internet. I tick people off by breathing. <laughs> well, see, that's one of those things. I'm still, I wonder about this, and I want to preface this with by first saying, okay, I do not want a troll or haters. I do not want people to attack me online, but I have never had a troll or a hater online. And I've been online for 14 years now. And I sometimes think that the problem is, is I don't offend anybody. And it's not like I'm really trying not to offend them. It's just like, this is who Max is. This is what Max does. These are the things that are important to him that he writes about. And I'm really, really honest with people about what I do talk about, but I just don't seem to offend people without trying to offend them. I don't often, it really to me depends on like I do offend people by being female on the internet which is just a thing it's I, I did receive not know that unsolicited photos in my inbox on the regular and that's not great don't do that ever to the whole world that's out there like nobody wants to see you're drunk nobody wants yeah. to and if they do they'll let you know that's where it's at and yeah. I've had people do that I've had People tell me after certain episodes, if I talk about sex in an episode, I'll have people call me a slut. And I'm like, <laughs> I have four kids and I've been married for 20 years, if only, right? Like, I don't have time for that. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just that kind of, like, you get used to it. And, and another thing that I found with other women podcasters is that if I swear, if they swear, if women swear in a, in a podcast, we'll get negative reviews for our language. And I know of several where they'll have a male co-host who actually swears more frequently than they do, but the man doesn't get the same feedback. Okay. All right. These, these are things I've never really heard before. And I've, I have quite a few friends who are also podcasters. I've attended several of the national conferences and I, I always try to have as many, you know, real conversations with people as possible when I go and, this is something I've 
never really heard before. If I did it, if I did hear it, it wasn't as direct as the way you're explaining it, but it makes a lot of sense. I've, I have heard from uh, people online who have various disabilities that um, that people are more likely to approach people with disabilities more aggressively who are women than they are with people with disabilities who are men. So I guess it's the, 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 the men versus women thing is showing itself up in, in podcasting. But that is weird that it, you would think that they, the language that a woman would get in trouble with it and a man wouldn't. And uh, you mentioned getting photos in the mail. I get photos all the time, and I just I just see them as a, as as the eye test or the spam test because if somebody has my email address, but they don't realize that they're sending pictures to an email address that is just ask at theblindblogger.net, and these pictures are of them and whatever they may be in or not be in, I feel like that automatically means that 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 email has to go right to the spam folder, right to the trash. I'm sorry. You know, it's uh, you obviously don't know me or don't think you know me. And I've actually recently started replying to certain threads on social media with uh, the blind blogger is not just a cool nickname. For for real, right? And that's that's what I wonder about people is like, what do you think I'm getting out of this? I've had people ask, are you really deaf? And I'm like, what? Okay, I get that many people in their childhood and teenage years, maybe, or whatever, in certain contexts in their life, may find some sort of positive internal feedback for pretending to have an ailment or disability that they don't really have. I haven't had that in a really long time that I thought like, what do you think I'm getting out of this? I don't like this. I want to hear what my kids have to say. I want to be able to function when I go to CVS and, and, and my kids know how to speak directly into my ear and face me and pull their mask down. And so I can I can communicate with them. And then I get up to the register and I'll sign that I'm deaf. And I've had at least two times now where the clerk has said, I just saw you talking to your kid. And I'll be like, is this a test? <laughs> like, what do you think I'm getting out of this? And it's like, people seem to understand the concept of being legally blind, but they don't understand that deafness can also be on a spectrum. Right. Well, actually, we do have a, we do have somewhat of a similar problem when it comes to blindness, and it has to do with the white cane. There are a lot of people who, when they see white cane, they assume total or near total blindness. They don't understand that a lot of people will have a white cane, but they may only have a of the minimum legal requirement of vision loss, which in most places is 2120 or 2200. So I've had, fr I have friends who they'll be in public, in a public place or on mass transit and they'll have their cane. And because they have enough vision left, they will actually go to look at the cover of a magazine, say, or to look at a street sign as the bus is going down the road, for example. And then they get these really dirty looks from people like, you know, why do you have the white cane? You're obviously not blind. So that that does happen quite often in, in the vision loss uh, community or people with vision loss out in public, because the majority of people assume that the white cane means total blindness. And you have to wonder, like, what do you think I'm getting out of this? Like, let's let's pretend that I'm totally faking. Let's pretend that I have perfect hearing. Right. 
what problem is it for anyone else that I'm telling you I have difficulty hearing? I can't really think of anything you could gain from it. I mean, you possibly could gain, um, you know, maybe a better spot in line. Um, I haven't gotten bumped to the front of the line yet. I'll tell you that. I mean, I used to, I used to even like, so I used to run a learning disabilities, ADHD clinic back in the day. Um, where you do assessment and you also did some training on here are ways that you can help control your symptoms. And one of the things I would tell somebody if they had particularly poor auditory processing, which is not deafness, it's just an inability for the brain machine to understand. The brain isn't processing the auditory input correctly, right? Exactly. And either it comes in slow or it, gets scrambled or it gets confused with your short-term memory. It kind of depends on the nature of the auditory processing problem. But I used to tell people, say to people that you are that you are hard of hearing because other people understand the concept of hard of hearing better than they understand I don't process sound well. Right. Yeah. And that comes back to storytelling. You know, a lot of times it's not what the, it's not what it is. It's how we present it. And my dad used to have an expression. He used to say, Max, there are going to be people in your life who you cannot persuade. When you run across those people, you can either fight them or you can tell them a story. And he would say, you know, try to explain it to them in a way they'll understand. And so, you know, for, for years, we told people we were only going to bring them a children's carnival because if we told them we were going to bring them a what they thought of as a regular carnival, they did not want us because they'd be afraid of the kind of people we would attract. So for the small festivals, we told them it was a children's carnival. For the big fairs, we told them we were going to bring them 25 rides. It was, you know, so, but I, but I like, you know, but you're right. It all, it, there, it all depends on how we explain things to people. And some things are easily understood and some things just, you know, get blank looks. Like, you know, with me, it's light perception versus blindness. And, you know, you, it was explaining to people that people don't understand you can't process sound, but they understand if you can't hear it. Exactly. And, and so that's, I, I don't feel any problem with that. Like, I don't feel like that's a falsehood because at the end of the day, you're trying to assist yourself in, in processing the world in functioning through the world. And you're trying to assist them in not being assholes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now I did, you know, to your question of what would you get out of it? I did recently see one on this that I thought was kind of funny. I've been going through the, I'm still going through the process of applying for a guide dog. And part of that is I have to improve my orientation and mobility skills, which is, you know, traveling safely with a white cane. But on one of the guide dog school applications at, i, I you know, I wanted to read through the application so I'd have all my stuff ready when I went to fill it out. And at the, the very last question is, you have to check this box where you promise not to use your guide dog for mendicancy. Now, I'm a fairly well-educated person. I went to college. I have a degree from Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I've never heard the word mendicancy before. So I had to look it up. It turns out that basically they mean you can't use the guide dog to beg. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean... I guess <laughs> you can't go get a guide dog just because you think it'll help you on the corner with your sign. Make more money. Um, so I guess there are some people out there who do have a, a wrong view of the world. So, you know, I guess we can't 
fault everybody when they when they wonder if you really can't hear or not you know it's uh no i mean fair and that's a, that's when i ask them like what do you think i'm getting out of this it's a legitimate question i right. want to know what tell me what you think i'm getting out of this do you are, are guide dogs free of charge to you uh for most schools nowadays they are years ago they would require you to pay a nominal fee because they felt like people who had to invest in the in a dog would be more responsible with the dogs so i don't know what it, uh so like in the 90s it would be like three or four or five hundred dollars somewhere along in that range between 250 and 500 but it wasn't that they expected you to pay for the dog they just wanted you to have skin in the game as everybody talks nowadays uh as in you know most people don't realize this but to select a puppy raise puppies to adulthood and train them to be dogs and then have the few dogs that actually turn out to be good guide dogs the average about fifty thousand dollars a dog yeah my youngest sister has muscular dystrophy so she has perfect vision perfect hearing but her body doesn't behave very well and she is able to walk but she has to wear braces and very recently applied for a an assistance dog and that's when we learned that there is absolutely no financial support available for that nope so they did a whole go her friend did a whole gofundme on on it and and we were able to fund it and so that was cool because it was i think i want to say something like like ten thousand dollars for the dog wow yeah and you know that's 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 crazy that is just that shouldn't happen in the United States of America in 2020 that just shouldn't happen or 21 whenever she got the did the GoFundMe thing but you know beyond that uh I don't know of anybody's healthcare plan that covers the preventative maintenance or emergency care for their service animals I mean if if a guide dog gets sick or injured you're pretty much looking at paying out of pocket or having a crowdfunding campaign just like your daughter had to do for her dog you know it's uh I think there are a couple of the car insurance companies that will that will pay if your dog gets injured in a car crash with you. But as far as you know, uh, you know injuries while out walking or just the usual sickness, illness, things that happen to dogs in in general, that's all out of pocket. You know, wild. I I I had never realized. So I was diagnosed at sixteen as being hard of hearing and this was in the 90s and so the hearing aids that existed were effectively just amplifiers and to be very technical and specific about my hearing loss it's pretty much broad spectrum now for the most part but what happened first is that i lost the low tones first i lost the low frequencies first okay. so i could hear dog whistles i could hear fluorescent lights i could hear computer monitors but i lost first the very lowest pitches like i grew up not terribly terribly far from niagara falls couldn't hear it um then it, it moved up and so right now the lowest i can hear with any potential consistency is human voice range and even that is iffy now. I hear higher pitches better than lower pitches. And so about 10 years ago, maybe, mid-30s somewhere, I decided, well, my hearing's not getting better. And I seem to have like a stepwise loss to the hearing where it'll be one level and I'll get used to it. And suddenly it'll be a lot worse. And 
that happened. And so I decided, well, let me talk to my insurance company. Let me, let me have it checked out with an audiologist and so on. And that's when I learned that I'm over age 19. And in the U.S., if you are over age 19, you pay for your hearing aids out of pocket. Right. Did you see the recent announcement by the, uh, by the, by the FDA concerning hearing aids? I did not. They have opened a public comment uh, section right now because they want to change the rules because they believe that the current system where hearing aids are purchased through, uh, through vendors where they either come to your home or you go to their office and you purchase the hearing aid through the audiologist is causing them to be in less supply and much more expensive. So they are wanting to do hearing aids the same way you do eyeglasses now, which is you have a, you have a doctor that determines what your needs are. And then you can take what, a, you know, you can take like an eyeglasses prescription to any eyeglass maker or eyeglass seller and purchase your glasses from them. And they want to do the same thing for hearing aids so that uh, there'll be more, the supply availability will go up. And as a result, there'll be more competition and the prices on them will come down. Which so, would, which would be lovely. Like, I don't, I don't know if I would go and do that now. Like I've sort of gotten used to the process. I, I, yeah, I have, I've gotten used to being mostly deaf and steadily more so like maybe there'll come a point where I'll, I'll get some, but this is in, in the early 2000s, maybe 2010s. I went then and at the time, I guess it must have been early 2000s uh, because we lived in New Hampshire at the time. And I sat in my audiologist's office and cried. It's like, I can't, I can't begin to afford this. And they said, well, go talk to the vocational technical, you know, or Department of Health and Human Services. Like there are programs that will do like a matching program where you buy one, they'll buy the other. And I was like, okay, see, I don't think you're hearing me that... Each hearing aid is $5,000 for what I need because I, I need it so tuned in because if it just simply amplifies, then those high pitches are agonizing. Yeah, I was, I was shocked when they were interviewing the fellow from the FDA about the proposal and he started talking about how some people were paying over $10,000 for their hearing aids. I was like, come on, that's like half a new car. It's more than I've ever spent on a car. I just buy used, like my God. And so I just, I, I, that was sort of when I gave up. I think, I think a part of me gave up then about, I have to grieve the loss of my hearing and I have to accept that this is what it's going to be because I can't afford this. And as well, just because I can afford it now, I can't afford it in three to five years when my hearing takes another nosedive. Right. And that's one of the big problems with RP or with hearing loss, the way it's happening to you is you never really are sure as to what your level of visual acuity is going to be or what your hearing levels are going to be. And that's a, that's a terrible thing on the one side because it's scary because you never know what you're going to have from one day or to the next. But I feel like on the, on the positive side, once you start going down this road of gradual hearing loss or gradual vision loss, you have to get really good at accepting, which is something we really need to talk about more, but also, you know, flexibility and finding a way to adapt to your current circumstances. And so I, I feel like my vision loss and the way I lost it 
has probably really helped me nowadays because especially as somebody who works online, things are always constantly changing and it's it's not just the technology, but it's the way people use the technology and websites, social media pages that I have to navigate with screen readers. That's, that stuff is always, it's always changing. Usually about the time I think I feel like I know what the heck I'm doing, they'll decide they want to do it some, some other way. And, you know, the economy, even without COVID, the, the economy is constantly changing. So having to learn from an early age to, to adapt to the way things change is something that I, people are going to think this is weird, but I, I really wish more people could learn that lesson without having to have the hearing loss or the vision loss, but it has really served me well over my lifetime as a result of the vision loss. Because in, say, the course of eight or seven or eight or nine years, I went from being able to read a regular print book in a dark room to having to have plenty of light to having to have large print text and then eventually using a closed circuit monitor and then eventually going to braille and audio. So every few months or few years, I had to adjust to a new way to do my schoolwork or to find enjoyment from reading or to find information so that I could contribute to the family business and now find information so I can uh, support myself and help people online. It's really been it, when you when you have the time to think about it in a objective way without the grief or the loss, it can be really it can be really uh, empowering. I think. I, I I agree. I agree. The when COVID came down and the lockdowns happened, I watched friends, strangers, and loved ones, and not friends, whatever. Um, I watched them fall apart. The 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 inability to just get in the car and go wherever they wanted the inability to get on a plane and travel where they wanted because there were rules or because it was unsafe or some combination thereof. And they really struggled. People really struggled with that in a profound way. And I remember being like, well, this is the only difference for me in 2020 was that now my family was home as well, but I've been home full time and I've not been able to just hop in the car when I want to for several years. Yes. Yeah. And most people don't realize that, we're, you know, uh, it's difficult for you to travel. It's difficult for me to travel. I, I live in a suburb of Houston and in, in Houston in general, we don't really believe in mass transit, but it's 12 miles one way or 15 miles the other way to the nearest park and ride location. And that, just gets you, you know, that gets you into the system, but you still have to, to ride for a half hour before you can get to a bus or a train that can actually take you somewhere. But that that park and ride location is a, you know, is a $10 Uber or cab ride from my house. That's fairly prohibitive. So I, I'm like a lot of people with that have vision loss or other disabilities. All COVID did was pretty much, you know, uh, you know, this is going to sound kind of flippant, but the, the only thing that really changed for me during COVID is it became a lot easier to get stuff delivered to the house. <laughs> it's true, though. It is. I mean, before COVID, I could get pizza and Chinese, but now I can get uh, groceries. I can get beer and wine if I want it. Not that I'm really into that, but I mean, uh, just so much, so you know, um, Car, I don't, I don't have any problem with our truck, thank goodness. But I mean, 
they'll deliver car parts. They'll even bring tools out to people's houses now so they can work on their own cars. I mean, so, so yeah, but before COVID, I didn't go anywhere. During COVID, I haven't gone anywhere. But like I say, you've got a whole lot more delivery options now than you used to. Uh, <laughs> And and it's and it's not such a bad and and you people don't look down their nose at you when they hear that you're stuck in your house. I mean, because for a long time I was was here and I did most everything I do from behind my laptop. Three or four times a year I would get out and I would go to a conference or a speaking event, and that kind of made me feel like I wasn't totally housebound. But uh, for the most part, I did I did everything from my from my laptop from my bedroom here. And that worked really great. And, you know, it, the other thing that was really cool about COVID, or, and, and I say that I should say is cool about COVID because I personally think we got at least another year of this stuff before we start to really see normal again, if we ever see normal again, assuming we don't die from lack of toys during December this year, um, <laughs> is, uh, well, you know how people are, they're emotional. Right now, the emotional stability in this country is very low. There are way too many people who they're only getting from one day to the next by the skin of their teeth. And it wouldn't take much. For example, I think you probably know people who if they found out tomorrow they couldn't get their Starbucks, that might be it for them. That might be the straw that breaks the camel's back for them. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, it's, it's true. There are so many people that are just right on the edge and it would, wouldn't take much of another next thing. So. I think during COVID is, is that being a podcaster and being somebody who promoted his brand and helped other people grow their brands on online, I went from being, you know, the oddball, the, the person that half the time people didn't even understand what the heck I was talking about. when We had conversations about it to now I've become one of the cool kids, you know? So that's been kind of nice about COVID. I've never been one of the cool kids but i get it i get what you, i do you know now people are like hey max what is zoom you know um uh can you help me start a podcast um can you get me booked on somebody's podcast you know um you have conversations with technology and you feel like they're actually wanting to get your opinion instead of just wanting to hear you talk until it's their turn to talk because they don't know what to talk to you about so it's 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 really cool to like i say to not to to not be different to and to and really to have a service that more people need now than they needed before and really most people needed needed help getting exposure for their work before covid they just didn't realize that they needed it now covid has you know showed a lot of people the value and the power of podcast conversations to where i am very hopeful this is going to be more normal going forward. And the other thing I love about COVID is because of all the big time TV and radio personalities who had to learn how to put their shows on from their basements or their living rooms and had to, to just grin and bear it when their dogs barked or their neighbor's dog barked or their siren went off down the street while they're recording. That has so lowered the bar and it's basically a lot more people are thinking, hey, if that can happen to, you know, Ryan and Kelly, or if that can happen to Chris Cuomo, or, you know, if that can happen to whoever that's a big time radio or TV person, and they still have an audience, then I don't have to worry about all of that. You know, it's really, it's, it's freed up a lot of people's uh, worries about things that used to keep them from wanting to go online, because they were worried about how am I going to look, you know, how am I going to sound, are people going to care about what I have to say? 
and will I be able to manage the technology? And if, you know, people aren't going to listen because my, my, my production is not, you know, is not prime time ready production quality. So seeing all these, you know, professionals struggle with doing it from their homes, I think has really been a great learning experience for the average person out there who has thought about having a podcast or a show, but always thought they just didn't have the chops for it because they compared themselves to the big dog. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Toward the very end there, we talk about the experience of being housebound and experiencing pity from others from that and then suddenly the cool thing about covid and for real how often do you hear that mostly covid is this miserable horrible awful thing and it still is but what it proves to me is that even a pandemic can be multifaceted and complicated because well a lot of people had to make major adjustments to their lives and their worlds during lockdown and still now, there are others of us who are ready for this in a way, not looking forward to it, but just used to it. I don't leave the house very often. It's not safe for me to do so. And when I do, I have to take extra precautions and it's difficult and it takes planning in a way that a lot of people, myself included, before I broke my back and before my hearing got really bad, can just 
do. Just hop in the car and run to CVS and be back in 10 minutes and it's no big and it's not stressful and you're done. But for me, it is big and it is stressful and it takes planning and more time and a degree of not having the choice about whether I'm going to share certain aspects of myself because I have to tell people that I'm deaf. Like, if you go out and you have, I don't know, a, a pulled muscle maybe or a sprained ankle or wicked stomach cramps or something like that, to a large degree... You can minimize or even hide what you're experiencing and make a choice. Do I want to share my personal medical history with this stranger just because I want to buy a pack of gum? And if you're blind, you don't ever have that choice. And if you're deaf, you typically don't have that choice. I have to identify myself as deaf just to pick something up at the store because I can't follow what they're asking me when they start offering me the store's membership program or whatever it's called, or whether they're asking me date of birth first or name first or just there's a lot and it's stressful every time. And so I stay home. I stay home by choice and by sheer exhaustion. And watching the rest of the world go through that adjustment was an interesting psychological not experiment because it was real, but process for sure. And, you know, there's, there's things to be appreciated. And, you know, I would rather not for real. Nobody's saying like, oh, we're so glad that COVID came on. But what we're saying is you get us a little more now, right? So anyway, Maxwell, thank you so much for coming to play and being open and fascinating. And it was fantastic to get to talk with you and I wish you all of the luck in the world with your consulting business that you're setting up like that's that's so fantastic that you're you're not lolling on the couch and moaning but finding ways to use your experiences to make the world a better place like that's magical I hope you'll come back and play sometime Thank you guys for listening, and thank you, Mandy, my latest patron. It's been a ride, right, just lately, and this coming week is going to continue being so. I'm going to put out a couple more episodes, and then I have another round of oral surgery next week, so we'll see. We'll figure it out. I don't know. I That's a whole week from now, so whatever. But until then, hang in there and I will be back at you as soon as I am able. You matter. <laughs>